Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Matter. Today, we're going to be doing something a little different, and I will be speaking with the SLAS Director of Global Events and Corporate Partnerships, Amy Wilkinson, who's going to give us an inside look into what goes into planning all of the SLAS hosted events. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's very exciting. We're thrilled to have you here. So to begin with, can you kind of give us a little bit um, about your professional background and your history with SLAS? Yes, absolutely. Um, my professional background is a little bit interesting. Um, I, um, My undergrad, I focused on commercial recreation and sports management. I really thought I wanted to work in professional sports. Um, and my first job out of college was working for the Chicago Blackhawks, which is a professional hockey team in Chicago. And I was laid off from that job um, when there was a work stoppage in the NHL. So my first professional experience was a little bit demoralizing. <laughs> um, and um, it was a rough, rocky start um, to my career. Um, but I then moved on to a minor league baseball team in the Chicagoland area um, and quickly realized that um, professional sports was not for me, um, both from a culture and a um, ability to pay my bills um, perspective. <laughs> and I saw a job online um, for the Association for Laboratory Automation, which was one of the legacy organizations for SLAS. Um, and I applied for that job and interviewed for that job. And the rest is really history. Um, I've been here for um, 16 and a half years at this point, And I've been incredibly fortunate to be able to grow um, within the organization without having to leave the organization. Um, and I've done a number of different roles and jobs um, here um, with SLAS um, since I've been here. I started in member services um, and moved into um, sort of a member engagement role where I was responsible for our awards and grants programs. Um, and then I took on an events and education role um, where I really started getting into program development and event logistics. Um, and um, I love it. Um, and I'm very fortunate to, to have been able to be here for so long and work with this great organization. Yeah, that's amazing. I have to say, first of all, I'm kind of shocked that sports was the area where you couldn't pay your bills and yet a nonprofit scientific organization somehow was a step up. Never would have thought anybody in professional sports would have a hard time paying the bills. <laughs> I think they give all their money to the athletes <laughs> and to the, you know, Crazy. To the executives, <laughs> the, the jobs in sports are in such high demand that there just is not a need to pay, um, you know, entry level employees. So, um, so they can pay their bills. <laughs> that, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of just been so amazing to kind of see how this organization has grown and changed. I mean, I think we have some members who have been here for probably as long as you, but I don't think that there are many people either working for or members of SLAS who have been around it quite as long as you. I mean, what has that been like to kind of see the evolution of this organization? It's been amazing. Um, the organization at its core is, um, is, is, is unchanged in terms of what the mission is and what this community is really trying to do to, to better um, global health, really, in the end, um, and the impact that they're making on, on um, the world, really, with their research and, um, and, you know, the science that is coming out of SLAS. 
Um, but, but true enough that, uh, you know, there's, there's nobody else on the staff that has been here as long as, as, as I have. Um, there are a number of volunteers that certainly have uh, more longevity than me. And it's been wonderful to, to, you know, start building those relationships when I was early in my career. And then, um, being able to evolve those professional relationships into friendships in a lot of ways um, as I've uh, you know gone through my years here with the organization. Um, it's really been been an amazing um, you know part of my life. Um, it really um, has has brought me so much happiness and, and gratification. So I'm really grateful for the organization and for all of the people um, that volunteer and um, and work here. That's awesome. Have you developed more of an interest or a passion for science working here? That, sadly, no. Um, <laughs> I, I have a, a very, very high appreciation for science and for what our members do. I just don't have an aptitude for it. Um, so I appreciate it. Um, it's just not it's not in my wheelhouse. And, and I so wish it was. So That's fair. That's fair. Well, I think that that is that's also impressive as well, that you can put together such amazing events and just kind of, you know, be able to get as much out of it as you do without having fully dove into all of the minutia of the science. Well, I think, yeah, I, I think, you know, the thing is, we have to surround ourselves with people who know the things that we don't know. Right. Because um, if we're just surrounding ourselves with people that know all the same things that we know, we're we're doing ourselves a disservice because, you know, there le that leads to gaps um, that need to be filled or go unfilled. Um, so, you know, I know my piece <laughs> and I know how my piece impacts everyone else. Um, but it's also really nice to be able to rely on on the rest of the team and, and to have such an amazing group of volunteers that contribute to this organization to be able to fill in, to fill in all those content gaps. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of get into a little bit about planning out some of these events. Uh, can you start with kind of just a general overview of what are the general timelines for planning an SLAS event? Yeah. Um, so the conferences are, um, a different animal than than our smaller events are. Our two um, big conference and exhibitions are um, they're they're events that of that are of the the size and scope and scale that they they need to be booked years in advance. Um, and for the international conference and exhibition in particular, that is a convention center piece of business. And in the event industry, it's considered a citywide booking, which means that you are taking a significant chunk of the convention center as well as hotels and venues within the city. And you need to coordinate all of that um, with the city itself and with those individual venues to make sure that the city can in fact serve your group coming in and your large scale event coming in. And so for that reason, um, we, we have to book our international conference and exhibition at least six to seven years out. Um, we are booked through 2029 um, with the International Conference and Exhibition as it stands right now. And we have dates on hold through 2035 for the wow. International Conference and Exhibition. Um, and the, it's, it's interesting, even that event is traditionally in Q1 of every year. It's in late January, early February. Um, so you might think, you know, especially going into Boston, <laughs> a city that is in 
in the throes of its winter season um, at that time of year, that space would be easy to come by and it's simply not. Um, and that's because of the scale of event um, that that is. Um, the symposia events are a little bit different um, in that they can sort of be planned um, a year to 24 months in advance. With such long timelines, I mean, does it ever kind of like trip you up? Do you get like an existential crisis when you're thinking about your life and you're like planning these events that are going to take place in like 2035 and you're like, where am I going to be in 2035? <laughs> I better, I guess I have to keep working here because I'm planning these events already. Yeah. And I try not to equate it to my age, like my <laughs> chronological age, because that gives me a little bit of a complex. Um, but what's interesting is like the future doesn't, necessarily um doesn't put me into existential crisis mode it's sometimes the past that does that for me like i'll look backwards and i'll think something was just a year ago and i'll realize that it was in fact five years ago or i said to someone i was working with um and and developing our our 2024 program um earlier this week and i said you know 2022 was so last year and in fact, we are still in 2022. <laughs> but um, when you plan so far in advance, you know, it, it, it kind of gives you that little bit of like, wait, where am I? Where am I in the, in the year right now? What am I doing? So, um, but I, I guess I, you know, at some point I'll start to, you know, be planning something that is going to outlive my career life cycle, certainly. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful to not be there yet. So. <laughs> Has, you know, did the COVID-19 pandemic, I mean, obviously that everything had to end and shut down. Has that changed the way that you think about planning these events? Uh, yeah. And I got a little bit of a tick when you, <laughs> you said that. There was a little bit of a little bit of collective trauma, I think, that the world went through um, during that period of time. But something a little different for for those of us that work in the live events industry and certainly the hospitality industry. Um, it was a, it was a tough couple of years, especially at the beginning. It was really hard to watch my professional network be decimated um, by the pandemic. Um, and it's starting to come back um, slowly but surely. But uh, we're you know, we're seeing a lot of new talent come in to um, the events and hospitality industry. Um, but it's slow to gain traction and it's, it's slow to, um, to sort of for, for new professionals to build up the knowledge base that is necessary to really effectively um, meet a, a market of this scale. Um, because global events, they impact, they impact so many industries on, on this planet. You know, there's just in the nonprofit world, there's an association for everything. There's a, there's a cat lovers association, there's a cat con, there's, you know, there's, um, there's an association for people who love Toyota trucks, like there's, you know, there's, there's something for everyone. And, and the most, um, the most important piece of engagement, or, or point of engagement, I think, for, for groups like that is still a live event, it is still mm -hmm. a meeting of the minds, so to speak. Um, so to, to get back to your question, yes, the, the pandemic created um, a lot of, a lot of churn, in this organization and a lot of, um, you know, need to evaluate processes and come up with new processes. And, and um, hopefully in the end, I think that um, we're, we're going to come out of this in a way where we are a little bit more efficient and we are a little bit um, more graceful in understanding that things don't always go 100% the way you want them to. Um, so, 
I hope that there's a little perspective in this industry that comes out of that. Yeah. Maybe a lesson in flexibility a little bit. Yeah. Agility, flexibility, keywords. (laughs) (laughs) I have to practice them myself. I'm very (laughs) not so good at that. It's hard. It takes practice. Definitely. So you went in a little bit into the timelines being different for a conference versus a symposium. What other differences are there when you're planning one of these global conferences versus kind of these smaller scale symposia? Um, that's a great question. Um, you know, they're so different and it's, and it's tricky for me to articulate exactly how and why they are different. Um, you know, the, the conferences are, are big. The conferences are, you're, they're almost less work because you're creating this mass product that is going to serve a large mass of people. And the, there's, there's so much importance in the details and doing that, but really there's also, I don't know the right word. Like there's, there's silos within that umbrella that is the international conference and exhibition, for example, that are operating as a machine would to make that individual constituency or individual communities experience at that event fruitful for them. And you know, that's going to work. You know, it's going to be that way. You know, every exhibitor that is on that floor, while there are 350 of them, they are going to bring their A game. They are going to show up and people that come to their booths are going to get what they want out of their booths. Whereas like, um, and you know, the program is going to be stellar, you know, you're bringing in a full service AV company and a production company. So, you know, all that's going to work so well. There's a, a mass catering, um, process and, 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 um, and it's usually a big company that's providing that catering and they do it over and over and over again. So you kind of know that things are going to work a little bit with the symposia, um, they're custom. Every symposium is different than the symposium prior, um, whether it's a topical difference, a venue difference, or a format change um, from one to the other. So the and and you're also working with a smaller group of people um, overall. There's a smaller group of stakeholders involved um, in a symposium. So um, so it really becomes a custom experience um, where you're instead of starting from an existing template that sort of is tried and true, and you know it's going to work, and you're within these restrictions and and you know this timeline is how you should adhere to, you're kind of starting from zero each time to make sure that what the product that you're creating in the end is exactly what that, that focused constituency needs it to be. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. It's sort of like having a large established corporation versus maybe like a smaller startup. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's a great analogy. So how are the event locations chosen? You know, SLAS hosts events all over the world and they're always in different places, you know, a lot of going back and forth between different coasts or different countries. How do we choose a location for each event? Um, there are um, a number of different ways. Um, it is strategic in that we we look at um, we look at where our members are and where our community already exists. And we look at where we want our community to exist. Um, And then we find a balance in between um, there somewhere. Um, And and for the International Conference and Exhibition and for the Europe Conference and Exhibition, 
we want to be in cities and venues that can one handle an event of that size and scope. Um, the exhibition itself is very complicated. Every booth is a small event in and of itself. So we need the logistics are, are immense. So we try to bring those events to our community um, and make sure that people can come in for a day or they can come in and visit just the exhibition if they want to so that they're accessible. Um, for the symposium, we, we try to spread our wings a little bit and we try to push the boundaries of where we have been before. Um, and we work really, really closely with our Knowledge Content and Delivery Council and our Technology Provider Advisory Committee um, who, to make sure that we're choosing event locations um, that, that meet the needs of the individual communities and constituencies within SLAS um, based on the topic. Um, and that they're accessible to our exhibitors and sponsors who are a critical stakeholder in every single event, no matter what the scale of that event is. Um, so it's, it's that they're always an important, um, you know, touch point for us too. Um, and of course, we look to our strategic plan as a nonprofit organization. Um, you know, events are a delivery mechanism for our mission. They are not the mission. Um, so we look to our strategic plan to make sure that our events are, in fact, um, you know, following um, and, and helping to meet um, the goals and objectives in that plan. How So how far out in advance do you need to choose these locations if you're booking, you know, in, you know, 10, 20 years out, you know, do we have all of those locations chosen in advance? Is there ever any flexibility there? You know, if we have a location chosen for 2032, is there, is that subject to change or is that locked in? Um, for the conferences, it's pretty locked in. Um, where we do have flexibility are the, the, the service partners that we work with for all of those things. So whether it's audiovisual, catering, hotel partners, um, IT, um, meeting logistics firms, shipping firms, um, that's, where our, that's where we have the ability to sort of leverage um, it changes in the market um, and changes in, in products and services that, that help us to bring our product effectively um, to our community, um, that those we can, we typically contract, um, a little bit closer in, um, and we have a mechanism for being able to evaluate those products and services and make changes to those products and services. If we're not happy with, um, with the service that we're getting. Mm -hmm. What about the, all those different components, you know, how far in advance do you need to book those then? Like, you know, the venue, the catering, the IT, the, the speakers that are actually providing the program. Yeah, um, we try to get our programs settled around eight months in advance, regardless of, of, of what event we're presenting, because we understand that the decision-making process for exhibitors to participate and sponsors to participate, as well as registrants to participate, is not always an easy, um, you know, or it's not always a quick turnaround for them to get a decision um, to be able to participate. Um, for things like venue catering and IT, those other things um, that, that service the actual logistics of the event, it really depends. Um, and it depends on what type of venue we're in um, and, and what we're trying to do with that program. So we, we you know, the, the logistics, event logistics serve to meet the needs of the program, not the other way around. So we try to create, you know, a logistical template and budget that is flexible enough 
to do that um, and to make sure that the, the, the goal of the program is achieved in the end. Yeah, let's talk money, everyone's favorite thing. <laughs> How much does it cost to run one of these events? Oh, good golly. Um, it's, <laughs> it really depends. Um, so our, you know, our expenses associated with, you know, the international conference and exhibition are, they're significant. They're not, um, you know, they're, it's, it, 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 it would probably be staggering if we got into a line by line breakdown of, of, you know, what, what that actually looks like, but we're, you know, we, 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 they're around $5 million is what it takes to um, present an event of that size and scope when all is said and done. Um, and that's spread out over, you know, a lot of different programs within the organization, because we really are, um, the, when it comes to the International Conference and Exhibition, the entire organization is dedicating its resources um, to making that a success. And that's everything from my side, the, the event logistics side, all the way to, you know, the, e the, the e-learning side and the webinar development side, like the, it's, it's start to finish. The journals are involved. Um, our member and engagement team is involved. Of course, our marketing team is involved. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty significant when all is said and done. Yeah, I remember we were talking the other day and you mentioned, you know, the, just the cost of the catering alone, how much it costs per individual. And I thought, my, like, it, it was staggering because, you know, you think about I, people, a lot of people's frame of reference for this is probably like having a wedding or a party or something where, you know, the cost per head. Um, so is it, I mean, I don't know if you can like compare to other events. Is it, is it kind of similar to other events just scaled way up? It is. And that's a good analogy too. And I think that really like, you know, would drive home the cost of things, you know, they're, you think about like a can of soda, right? Like you go and you, you buy a 12 pack or you, you buy like, you know, a can from a vending machine and it costs a buck 50 or, you know, I don't know, do vending machines even exist anymore, but you know, <laughs> so like what a can of soda costs. And, you know, when you add in service fees and all of the costs associated one can of soda at, at a venue, um, like a convention center can be $10 and that's one can of soda. Um, so it's really important that, um, that we're, that we are doing all we can to make sure that that expense is managed. We don't want to throw away 500 cans of $10 soda, right? So we do everything we can to make sure that we're, um, that we have our history and that we're not spending more than we need to spend on these really expensive items. So the moral I'm getting from this that our listeners should take away is the next time that they go to an SLAS event, eat and drink everything. Everything. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. We do not want waste for so many reasons, but eat and drink everything, please. <laughs> I certainly will part. be doing my part at the next mm. event that I go to. <laughs> Thank you. It's good of you. I do my part. I do what I can. So what would you say is the most stressful aspect of putting together an SLAS event? Um, um, I would say probably the most stressful aspect is, is within myself. Um, and it's wanting everything to be perfect for everyone. Um, and that's just, that's the nature of my being. Um, and that's where my stress comes from. Um, at this point in my career, it, I, you know, I, 
I feel like I should know <laughs> that we're doing a good job and I should know that everything's going to work and I should know we've got all of our, you know, I's dotted and T's crossed. Um, but I always double check everything and then check everything two more times because that is, um, that's what gives me the ability um, to not feel stressed about mm -hmm. these events. Um, but, you know, there is, there is, there are elements, of course, the last couple of years, the pandemic has been in, incredibly stressful. And there's always something like that, whether it's weather, um, or, you know, a leak in the exhibit hall, or you walk in and there's a bucket in the session room or something like that, because there's water coming from the ceiling, there's always those things. But really, um, you know, the events industry is, is, um, it's a, <laughs> it's an industry of type A's. So everybody <laughs> wants to, everybody wants to have everything, um, you know, pretty, pretty controlled. Yeah, I would imagine with all of the moving parts, you kind of need that. You need that attention to detail. Otherwise, something's going to get missed. Definitely. Yeah. Critical. I guess it just goes to show imposter syndrome is not just for scientists. It's for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's across all of humanity, I think. <laughs> so on the other side of that, then what's the most rewarding or fun aspect of putting on these events? Oh, that's the easiest question you've asked me, Hannah. Um, it is the people. It is, oh my gosh, the people, especially the SLAS community. Um, I, it, it, I, I, and it's, this is a, you know, a cliche saying, but it fills my cup to be able to execute an event and be at a live event and connect with our community members. Um, we just have such an amazing group of human beings that, um, that come together every year, multiple times a year at every one of these events to just share their knowledge and collaborate together and reconnect with, um, with, it, with their networks and create new networks. And um, it's, it's amazing to watch um, and it, it's amazing to be a part of and I feel so grateful for it. Yeah, it's wonderful. What is the number one thing that you would want our SLAS event attendees to know or understand about their experience? Hmm. Uh, that's a great question. Um, that we want your feedback um, and that we value it. I, I think that um, sometimes folks can be, um, you know, can can feel a little timid about providing feedback because they may think that it's complaining, but we want your feedback. The only way we're going to know if something is a problem or if something is working wonderfully is if you tell us. And the only way we're going to be able to initiate change is if we know that change needs to be initiated. Um, we don't want to be behind the curve on that. We want to be in front of the curve on that. Um, that's not to say that we're going to be able to change everything. Um, and, you know, just going back to the $10 can of soda, I can't bring down the cost of, of, of that um, at our venues, but there are a lot of things that we can change. Um, and, and that, um, you know, those open lines of communication are absolutely critical, critical. Um, and, and, and to please feel free to, to give us your feedback, good and, and constructive. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Amy, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure having you here to kind of give us a little bit of behind the scenes of what goes into making all of these SLAS events happen. And we will look forward to seeing you and all of our listening members at all of our upcoming events next year. 
I can't wait. I'm so excited. And thank you for having me.